irritatingly, I cannot find on paper the the printout I have of Nachman Tale number five, which is what I intend to read uh, as the primary thing after I hit record. Whatever other ramblings or something else will pop up. But uh, also, uh, important first things, I hope that this is getting you safely quarantined. And if you happen to be in a hotel or motel, uh, please reach into your bedside drawer and take out the Bible, because the thing that I'm going through is basically a fable or a, like, Jewish uh, fairy tales. This one actually has maybe the most Jewish fairy tale first line you could ever, ever write, which is just hilarious on the face of it. We'll get to that. But, uh, excuse me just a sec. The um, Reb Nachman was someone who lived in, I don't know, you know, a sufficient amount of time ago uh, when there were still shtetls and, like, Fiddler on the Roof kind of era for anyone unfamiliar with it. And if you are, you may already know Reb Nachman. So basically, um, these stories would have been, they would have been told to people like parables or like a long form joke. Uh, And because I tell stories and jokes and things, I understand the structure and appreciate the uh, the mastery of not only the language and doing something entertaining and weird, because the Nachman tales are definitely weird sometimes. There's one of them where there's a castle that's made all out of water. And the thing about that one, I think that's that's like in his Arabian Nights story, story 12, where there are like 14 different stories being told inside that story. And in one of them, there's a princess in a castle made out of water. Uh, And there's a bunch of stuff about shooting arrows, trying to get through it, or like, like it sometimes is a surreal world that he paints. And this is why I want to use this podcast to amplify uh, fiction that people wouldn't have run across, that some people wouldn't have. I was going to say this nice and concisely at the beginning, and I know uh, lose some people whenever they hear the word Bible, so this should be uh, closer to the top. But... uh, 
I am sometimes on Twitter at time of posting. And if you are interested in hearing something read aloud uh, that's public domain, at least to start with, and as I'm doing this, I am open to requests. I'm just trying to amplify stuff that people haven't heard about. And I would be very happy to uh, do that with fiction that is new to me as well. So if you want to message me or tweet at me about that, uh, I will be happy to uh, take it from there. Anywho, need to say that more concisely and right at the start, but there you are. I'm taking requests. But at the moment, we are still in Nachman's territory. And the story for tonight, all of that is uh, enough for now, although there's a bunch more I could say about him and about that uh, castle made all out of water because that's one of those dense and remarkable cabalistic things that is the reason these stories are uh, transcendently brilliant. Uh, and I'm going to try to bring some entertainment and a little enlightenment to everyone tonight with the king's son who was made of gemstones. There was once a king who had no children. And if you heard, sorry, but if you heard uh, story eight, the last one I read, and if you just want to read this one, it's going to be linked into the podcast description. So you don't have to listen to all my random asides, but uh, but the last story that I read had a rabbi who had no sons, but this one is specifically a king who had no children. And the difference in wording and emphasis uh, is definitely significant. And it very much is in this story where he first has a daughter and then a son in a very fairy tale way. Uh, this whole really remarkable like page and a half story. It's, it feels a little like uh, something from one of Oscar Wilde's fairy tales. Uh, I could draw out that connection more another time, but uh, the most Jewish story tale opening line, get ready. There was once a king who had no children he went and got involved with doctors so that his kingdom should not be turned over to strangers, but they did not help him. So he decreed on the Jews to pray for him to have children. The Jews sought a Zadok to pray and cause it happen that the king should have children. They sought and found a hidden Zadok, and you'll get this from context, but it's sort of uh, wise uh traveling rabbi or wise man or like a Jedi or something, basically. Yeah, sure. Uh, 
roughly equivalent. If you're like Obi-Wan or like old Luke, uh, kind of Zadok, uh, hidden Zadok, and they told him to pray for the king to have children, he replied, he knows nothing at all, garnished. They informed the king inasmuch as there was a hidden Zadok there, but he said he knew garnished. The king sent a royal order for him, and they brought him before the king. The king began talking kindly with him. You know very well that the Jews are in my hands. I can do with them what I will. Therefore, I ask you with goodness, pray that I have children. The Zadok ensured, uh... I I think it means ushered, but this translation, the wiki source one that I'll be linking to this, it says ensured the king that same year he would have a child and he went home. The queen bore a daughter, and the queen and this queen's daughter was extremely beautiful. When she was four years old, she knew all the wisdoms and languages and could play musical instruments. Kings from all countries would travel to see her, and it was a great joy for the king. Afterward, the king very much wanted to have a son so that his kingdom should not go away to a stranger. So, oh, I don't know if the words would be in close enough proximity for this to be clever in the reading of it, but the Hebrew word for stranger is ger. And a few times here, the Zadok said he knows garnished, uh, which I don't know if gar and ger are alongside each other enough that, uh, that that means anything, but I want to mention it in case it does or in case someone knows and wants to uh, tell me uh, at time of posting. So uh, the king again. So he again decreed on the Jews that they should pray for him to have a son. They were searching for the first Zadok, but they could not find him, for he had already passed away. They continued searching and they found another hidden Zadok. And they told him that he should give the king a son, and he said that he does not know anything. Ganesht. Again, they informed the king, and the king said to the Zadok also as before, you know very well that the Jews are in my hand, etc. And if you're not looking at it, it does say on the page, etc. <laughs> The uh, it's it's almost like uh, I mean the this is definitely the way I'm reading it. It might be the translator, or it might be Nachman in the original. If there's a similar ellipsis, but it's almost like just uh, in the fairy tale format, but only just playing lip service to it. Not that. Uh, biblical language doesn't do the same thing because it often does uh, the repetition of significant statements or phrasing, but the etc. is just uh, looks funny to me. Uh, so the sage, that is the Zadok, said to him, 
but will you be able to do what I order? The king said, yes. The sage said to him, I need you to bring all the types of gemstones, uh, literally good stones, because each gemstone has in it a different segula, uh, ability or charm is the note. And this is the trippy fucking deep thing of this story that goes like 4,000 miles deep along that. I just want to make a very definite note that that is a Kabbalistic thing. And I haven't decided whether or not I want to try to explain the significance of it in this podcast, but by drawing attention to it in the way that I just have done, (laughs) I want to be exceedingly clear that this is exactly the kind of thing Nachman does where it fits a storytale structure. It's exactly a fairy tale thing. Oh, and get me one of every kind of gemstone. But it's actually like a scarily deep cleverness. And that being said, and by the Kings, there is a book wherein are written all the types of gemstones. The King said, I will spend half my kingdom in order to have a son. And the king went and brought him all the types of gemstones. The sage took them and ground them and took a goblet of wine and poured them in the wine. And he gave half of cup of wine to the king to drink and the other half to the queen. And he told them that they would have a son who would be thoroughly of gemstones and he would have in him all the seguloth of all the gemstones, and he went home to his hidey hole, his zadiki hole, where they found him. Uh, the queen gave birth to a son, and the king rejoiced very greatly, but the son that was born was not made of gemstones. I mean, you know... <laughs> The big surprise. When the son was four years old, he was extremely handsome, very wise in all the wisdoms, and knew all the languages. Kings traveled to see him. Excuse me. Now, the princess saw that she was no longer so important, and she was jealous of him. The only consolation for her was that the Zadok had said that he would be completely of gemstones, good good that at least he was not made of gemstones. Once, the prince was carving wood and he nicked his finger. The princess ran to bandage his finger and she saw a gemstone there. She was extremely jealous of him and she made herself sick. Many doctors came, but were unable to heal her at all. Sorcerers were called. A sorcerer was there, to whom she disclosed the truth, 
that she had made herself sick because of her brother, as mentioned, and she asked the sorcerer if it were possible to perform a spell on a man to become leprous. Huh. Without naming it, uh, because if you're listening to a number of these podcasts, it's somewhere else, but uh, leprosy has uh, popped up elsewhere, uh, which is just very interesting in this time, this plague that we are currently in the midst of. and I knew for sure I knew this was here, uh, but I haven't read this one in a while. Um, and if you're smart and actually want to read the story, uh, you would have shut me up and just read the thing. It'll take you uh, two and a half minutes. It's literally like a page and a half story. Um but so she asks if uh, she she wants to do a spell to make her little brother turn into a leper. And the sorcerer said, yes. She said to the sorcerer, what if he asks another sorcerer to annul the spell so that he will be healed? The sorcerer said, if the sorcery is thrown into the water, it can no longer be annulled. She did so, and threw the sorcery into the water. The prince became very leprous. He had leprosy on his nose, on his face, and on the rest of his body. The king got involved with doctors and and with sorcerers, but they were of no avail. The king decreed on the Jews to pray. The Jews sought the Zadok, who had prayed for the king to have a son, as mentioned, and brought him before the king. Now, this Zadok would always pray before Hashem yet Barak, inasmuch as he had promised the king that his son would be completely made of gemstones, and it had not been fulfilled. And he complained to the Ibishter, the Most High, or God, Have I done this for honor's sake? I have done this only for your honor, and now it has not been fulfilled the way I said. And the Zadok came to the king. The Zadok had prayed, namely, for the leprosy of the prince to be healed, but to no avail. He was informed that it was sorcery. Now, this Zadok was higher than all sorcery. The Zadok came and informed the king that it was a sorcery, and that the sorcery had to be thrown into the water so the prince could not be healed except by throwing the sorcerer who had performed the spell into the water. The king said, I give you all the sorcerers to throw into the water so that my son be healed. The princess was afraid, so she ran to the water to pull the sorcery out of the water, for she knew where it was. She fell into the water. A great tumult erupted over the princesses falling into the water. The Zadok came and said that the prince would be healed. And he was healed, the leprosy withered up and fell off, 
and his entire skin peeled off, and he was entirely of gemstones, as the Zadok had said. So, there is a C also uh, <laughs> that is regarding this story and the divine name of 42 letters. Uh, I am in this pattern now of recording some of these in the middle of the day, some of it I'm just doing late at night saving it as a draft and doing the essay and linking the next day, which is working. So if I don't link this, see also. Uh, also, note for future, Adam, if you haven't linked it already, when you go back to listen through this, go and link that into uh, the essay. Thanks somewhat in advance. Then, aside of that, aside, uh, and I know that what you have just heard might not entirely seem to make sense, or rather there are parts of it that have more depth that you need to there's a footnote i'm gonna read this last uh footnote about it um and you can come back to other podcasts i'll do of knockman and we'll I'll talk more. I'll look forward to hearing from people, Twitter, at time of posting. Uh, but here's the last bit of some explanation to the thing that I've just read. It says, uh, in reference to the first time that it says the Jews sought a Zadok to pray and cause it to happen that the king should have children. So a note on that concept and uh, that element in the story, which of course is key to the story. It says, see Midrash Tanhuma Vayetzi 16, that while Hashem which, if you don't know, is the name of God. It literally means the name. Uh, while Hashem retains to himself, in general, see Ta'anit 2a, the keys for rain, sustenance, revival of the dead, and childbirth, he will grant these to Zadokim. And Midrash Tanhuma Vayera 22, Baumidbar, uh, Bamidbar Rabbah, 14, and Zohar, Volume 1, 45b. See how beloved Zadokim are to Hashem, for whatever they do and decree, Hashem confirms it and fulfills it. And Shabbat, 59b. 
the Zadok decrees and Hakadosh Baruka who fulfills, excuse me for my pronunciation of some of this because I have studied it independently uh, and don't know proper pronunciations for some of uh, this. So I might be hitting it uh, accurately or this might not be. Um, and Moed Katan 16b, I rule man who rules me, the Zadok, for I make a decree and he can annul it at Al, which is stuff that is above my pay grade. <laughs> um, I haven't even I, I haven't even monetized this yet. It's an option, and thank you, Anchor, for making all of this so easily, so easy to utilize and spread and connect all these different uh, outlets. Uh, this really is an amazing thing to be able to let people speak this freely and essentially spread it. Uh, as widely as, you know, people can take an interest in something. Uh, everybody should get one. If you have got something you actually think is worth, you know, saying and sharing, and I hope these stories, uh, do constitute that, uh, that last part about how the Zadokim have some kind of control over God or some, all the things that were just cited there. I'm familiar with some, but not all of those. And the underlying things that that implies or powers that that attributes to Zadokim is an entirely different thing. Uh, and it's part of why these stories are so rich and complicated and surprising is that somewhat it, some of the stuff like I explained before in story number eight, and the thing we've just listened to is story five, uh, these are two of the shorter ones, and I will definitely be reading some of the others, but uh, it's. I thought it was good to start with two that you can immediately get through and make some explanation of. Um, but not all of an explanation of, because... Frankly, Nachman is a brilliant writer and storyteller, and it gives me joy to perhaps be introducing the man to a wider and more secular audience. Uh, although this does go out to you, anybody already familiar with his work, uh, and I hope wherever you are in whatever faith and condition and 
you know, all the rest of it, race, religion, gender, sex, everybody. If you're listening to this, thank you for taking the time. And I hope that you are safely quarantined and stay safe and well. Uh, and Zygazen. Thank you.